You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. I'm Dave Rowland, and uh, I lead Bible study on Thursday nights, and uh, we're going to be studying Deuteronomy for eight weeks beginning uh, January 6th. We study inductively, and uh, if you've ever studied that way, you know how rewarding it is. And if you haven't, I would invite you to join us sometime, and uh, you'll just be amazed at what you get out of the Bible and uh, by studying in that way. It has it really enriched my reading of it and my life, and I just encourage you to, to uh, look into that. Our reading this morning is uh, Acts chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 8, and it's in uh, page 628 in the Chairback Bibles, if you'd uh, look along as I read. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we just uh, thank you so much for your word that uh, you didn't just leave us alone that your Holy Spirit wrote these words through men. And uh, we just are so greatly thankful for that. Lord, uh, pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds as uh, Jonathan brings the message from your word to us today, this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is God's desire for the church? That may or may not be a question that you've ever asked yourself before, but I believe that that's a question that is crucial, not just for the life of our church, but for the life of every Christian, since we are so intimately tied to what happens here in the church gathering. For me, I first asked that question in my early 20s. See, I just started going to church again for the first time since... I was just a little kid, and for the first time in my whole life, I was reading the Bible on my own, and I was asking a lot of questions. Now, as somebody in their early 20s who had just started reading their Bible, I figured I had all the answers. And since I've been reading the Bible a little bit longer, I realized I have a lot more questions than I thought I did, and a lot fewer answers than I was hoping for. But one thing I see happening in Scripture pertaining to the church over and over again is these two ideas. On one hand, we have a calling to fellowship. There's this call to gather, to come together and love one another and worship the Lord together. But on the other side of the coin, there's also this calling to go. 
From the resurrection on, Jesus is calling us to go out to all the nations of all the earth, preaching the gospel and making disciples of all nations. So if you're tracking with me, we have this call to gather and this call to go, which they seem like opposite ideas. But I think there's an area in Scripture where these two ideas converge, where they mend together, where we as Christians can both faithfully follow the mandate to gather together and to go. And I believe for us that idea is centered in church planting. Well, good morning and welcome to Mill Creek. I'm so grateful to have you all here this morning. If you were with us last week, you remember that we just wrapped up our series on the book of Romans. Next week, we will be back in the book of Genesis. And if you'll remember, we left off in chapter 11, and next week we'll be picking up in chapter 12. But this morning, as we focus in on church planting, we're going to follow this premise that God's desire for the church is for churches to plant churches. What God wants from us is to be sending people out to plant churches and to spread the gospel. And in order to understand this topic this morning and to follow through this argument, we're going to be centered in the book of Acts. And I have to warn you, this sermon is going to feel a little bit different than you're used to. We'll be taking our first two points centered in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. And then we'll be taking a final point to cover a theology of church planning throughout the book of Acts. And if you're wondering if this sermon relates to your, your, your life, I want you to lean in with me. Because what God desires for the church, God desires for your life. So if you will, please open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Our first point this morning is the church's inward draw. Here's what it says in verse 6. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, so I know we haven't been in the book of Acts uh, this year, so we need to gain a little context. Now, if you'll remember, Acts is, is centered after the resurrection of Jesus. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days ministering to his disciples. And now he's getting ready to leave and head up to, he to heaven. And that's where we come in and his disciples ask him this question. And I, I want to argue that this question is a little out of left field, but not completely out of left field. In fact, there's some ideas surfacing in the disciples' mind that are fixated on their heart. So we need to hop into their shoes for a second to understand why they're asking this question. Number one, we need to understand that these are Jewish men born with a messianic expectation. And if you've never heard that term before, a messianic expectation was this hope that a Messiah or an anointed king was going to come and save Israel. And that's clearly grounded in the Old Testament scripture. That's something we see over and over again throughout the Bible. But in their minds, what this Messiah was going to do was going to come and destroy the enemies of Israel. And after destroying uh, their enemies, he's going to set himself up as king from the Davidic line and reestablish Israel to a powerhouse that it was uh, back in the times of David. But the problem was, for centuries and centuries and centuries, they were waiting for the fulfillment of this promise. 
And all throughout that time, they were ruled by one government or another, whether it was the Babylonians or the Persians or the Romans. And all this while was this expectation and this hope that one day they would throw off these foreign powers and they'd once again be established in power. Now, the second thing we need to recognize is that these 11 men believed that Jesus was, in fact, that Messiah. They believed that Jesus had come to do exactly what they believed. And, of course, there's a lot of evidence for that throughout Jesus' ministry. I mean, Jesus stepped on the scene, and all of a sudden, the blind are receiving their sight back. And not only that, demons are cowering at his name. Even more so, Jesus is commanding the winds and the waves, the power of nature submitting to his voice. Certainly, this is the guy they were hoping for. But there's also this other side to Jesus' ministry. You see, Jesus also talked about meekness and surrender. And after three years of his ministry, rather than rising to power, Jesus was arrested. And after he was arrested, he was beaten and nailed up on the cross to the point where he died. Imagine the trauma of walking with a man for three years who you believe was your Savior, who is now buried in a tomb. But then imagine the hope and the renewed expectation when Jesus stood before you in the flesh risen from the dead. So for them, of course, now was the time. Now was the time for all those things we had hoped for, for our kingdom to be regained in power and for us to retake the throne. But there is a problem with their thinking. See, what they missed in Jesus's ministry is that Jesus was talking about a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And here, as they ask this question, will you restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? They had an inward, earthly focus. But the kingdom of heaven is not earthly. See, they were hoping for something in the past. They were hoping something akin to the days of David, when Israel had great and and wonderful power. They were hoping for the, the temple of Solomon that shined in all its glory and wonder and splendor. But the kingdom of, Israel, of, of heaven, the new Israel that was coming, it doesn't rest in the past. The fact is, it doesn't even really rest in the future. The kingdom of heaven is an eternal kingdom, built from eternity, coming down to impact our finite lives, not the other way around. You see, they wanted what was in the past, but Jesus described the kingdom of heaven in a different way. You see, in Matthew 13, Jesus described the kingdom of heaven as a field that a a, a farmer went out and sowed with seed. But when he went to sleep, an enemy snuck in and sowed bad seed. And rather than tearing up the good seed with the bad seed to get rid of the bad, the farmer decided to wait till harvest day to separate the good from the bad. And Jesus equated this to the kingdom of heaven, that the saints, the believers in Jesus Christ would be scattered throughout the world. And that's completely different than the Old Testament system. 
You see, in the Old Testament, there was a centralized government. Everything was centered around the temple. I mean, that's where the glory of God came to meet his people. And in their minds, people from all over the the nations were expected to draw inward, to come to that temple, to receive God's glory, to receive the word of truth. But that's not the model that Jesus gave for the kingdom of heaven. Church, I think sometimes we view evangelism through an Old Testament model. We view the church as the center of all evangelism and all uh, church function, which it is. It's, it's a good thing to draw inward. It's a good thing to gather together. But church, we got to go out. The truth is, if we hunker down in our buildings, if we close down our doors and try not to get involved in the world, how are people going to receive the gospel? In fact, What the numbers say today, which I found amazing, is that 65% of Americans, 65% say they have zero to no church affiliation. But of those 65% of people, 80% said if somebody welcomed them to church, they would come. Church, if we get overly focused on inside, of drawing inward, we're going to miss the chance to share the gospel. All around us, there are people who need Jesus. And as we move forward in Scripture, we learn that the call is to go. That brings us to our second point this morning, Jesus' outward plan. Now, as we move forward in verses 7 and 8, we see Jesus answers the question of his disciples in a somewhat unsatisfying way. Read what he says here with me. It says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Now, at first glance, the way Jesus answers this question kind of sounds like the way that my parents would answer my questions when I would not want to follow the rules. Well, why can't I eat on the couch? Because I said so? But really, Jesus is answering their question in a very strategic way. You see, what he's trying to do is turn their focus from the question they really shouldn't be asking to the ministry that he is starting to the church that he is building, and he's using them to grow up. See, Jesus wants to turn their mind from that Old Testament system to a new system, to a new way and a new function. And he says in order to do that, two things are going to happen. Number one, they were going to receive the Holy Spirit. And with that, they were going to be filled with power. And number two, after receiving the Holy Spirit, they were going to become his witnesses. And this idea here is completely upside down to how the Old Testament system worked. You see, with that centralized government where everybody was drawing into the temple, that's where the glory of God was. See, this Old Testament, this come and see sort of model is now being flipped upside down. 
Now, rather than the glory of God coming and dwelling in buildings, it's coming and dwelling inside the hearts of his people. And rather than people being expected to draw inward, God is calling his people outward. No longer are the nations expected to come into Israel, but now God is going out to the nations. This is a huge revelation. And while Jesus is calling them to be witnesses, he's also giving them a very specific plan of how they were to go out from Jerusalem into the ends of the earth. And what we see here is the first step to this plan made a lot of sense to a Jewish person. See, first Jesus wanted them to be witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea. And for a Jew, that's perfect. I mean, Judea, that's the center of of Israel. Jerusalem, that's the city of David. In their mind, these are the whole collection of all of the faithful Jewish people, all the faithful Israelites from God. That made sense. But then God, or Jesus here, pushes their boundary. Not only are they called to go to Judea, they are called to go to Samaria. And that's when things get a little bit uncomfortable. You see, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. See, the Samaritans were Israelites, but they were Israelites who intermarried with people from other nations. And and that means what they, they were was people of unclean bloodlines. Rather than being pure Israelites who trace all the way back uh, to Abraham, now they were muddied waters. They hated them so much, they didn't even associate or even travel through the lands of Samaria. This was extremely uncomfortable. But that's when Jesus not only pushes the boundaries, Jesus tears their boundaries down. Not only were they to go out to Samaria, they were called to go to the ends of the earth. If the Samaritans were unclean, certainly the nations were condemned by God. This was uncomfortable. What this meant for the Jewish people is that they were going to have to step outside of their homeland. They were going to have to leave this promised land and go associate with people of other nations, tribes, and tongues, people they spent their whole lives avoiding. And church, what we have to realize is that evangelism can be very uncomfortable. And I think just like the Jews, it's our instinct to want to minister to people who look and sound and believe the same things we do. It's difficult to minister to people who have different political beliefs and ideologies and moralities and who don't look or sound like us. But the gospel, it's not just for us. Jesus is sending us outward and revealing to us that the gospel is for all peoples. It's not just for Americans. It's not just for Jews. The gospel is for everyone. And if we're not willing to go, if we're not willing to be his witnesses, how are people going to come to know Jesus? Church, we have this calling to go. And at this point, it may sound like I am diminishing the power of our local gathering. But as a 
Pastor, I believe what we do here is extremely important. And I believe that, as we've already stated, there is a balance here of the going and gathering. And I feel that we release that tension when we come together as churches in the power of the Lord and we send out other churches. That is the model of Scripture. And as we move forward in the book of Acts, we'll see that's how the early disciples reached the nations. So we reach finally our our third and final point this morning. A theology of church planning. Now, for our final point, we're not going to be focusing on a specific text. Rather, what we're going to be doing is taking a bird's eye view through the book of Acts. And what we'll be doing is looking at the highlights of how the church moved and followed the plan and the pattern of Jesus. And as we'll see here, we'll realize that what Jesus was doing and showing his disciples was for them to just plant churches. We begin by focusing in on Acts chapter 2, when the first church is planted. Now, here in chapter 2, we see Jesus' first promise come to fulfillment. While the disciples are sitting and praying and waiting on the Lord, the Holy Spirit descends down from heaven and fills his disciples. And immediately after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they start speaking in different tongues. What a powerful moment that must have been. But for the people down in the city, as they heard them crying out, they thought that the disciples were drunk. And then people who had traveled in from all over Rome, Israelites coming for the day of Pentecost, they realized that they're speaking my language. They're speaking my tongue. And as people began to be moved in their hearts, Peter got up and he preached the gospel. And upon preaching the gospel, people came to know Jesus and were saved. And the first church was born. And here we see in Acts chapter 2 a unique time in church history. Here in one moment and one time, we see both the universal church and the local church existing in one place. We see a centralized government the same way we saw in the Old Testament. And as they began to minister to Jerusalem and Judea, the power of the Lord went out and people came to know Jesus daily. But I want you to notice two things that happen here in Acts chapter 2. Number one, when the Holy Spirit comes, it moves God's people in line with Jesus' commandments. See, as they're sitting and waiting and filled up with the power of the Lord, they move in and become his witnesses just as he had determined. And number two, I want you to notice that the church began by speaking the tongues of many nations. You see, God here was laying a foundation. He was revealing that the church is not just for one ethnic people. It's not just for one language and one tribe and one tongue, but for all peoples of all the earth. God was laying a foundation. But as we move forward in Acts, we see God moving in different ways. So we hop over to Acts chapter 8, and we find that the church is scattered. So what we see moving up to chapter 8 is that as the people received the word of the Lord, they went out preaching the gospel as God called them to in Judea. 
And at this point, the, the gospel was all for Jews. It's not for uh, Samaritans. It's not for Gentiles. It's just for our people. But then as a man named Stephen went out preaching the gospel, he ran into a confrontation. As he preached at a synagogue, a group of Jews came together and confronted Stephen over the gospel that he was preaching. And rather than repenting of their sins and turning to Jesus, they picked up stones and they stoned Stephen to death. Now this was a devastating moment in the early church. Stephen was the first martyr, the first person to lose his life for the sake of Jesus. But even in this, God was working. You see, as persecution moved out through Jerusalem and Judea, the people who had gathered in on the day of Pentecost and were hunkered down in Jerusalem scattered out back to their nations. Rather than hunkering down and and staying in a centralized place, they were forced to go out to many nations. As they went out, the gospel was preached and churches were planted. We see as Philip moved into Samaria, he preached the gospel and the Samaritan church was born. We see as uh, believers moved north, they planted a church in Antioch, which would later become the global hub for the westward expansion. We see in the evidence of the letters of Paul that as people moved out back to their nations, churches were planted in different places, like Crete and Rome and all the other nameless places where believers went home and began to preach the gospel. Churches were planted, all because of persecution. Now, up until this point, we still see once again that The church is Israelite. Well, there's a few outliers, a few random people who are not of Israel. We still see a centralized focus. Rather than realizing that the gospel was for all people, they were still focused inward on Israelite people in an Israelite kingdom. But that is until we see the next major shift. Acts chapter 10 The gospel spreads to the Gentiles. Now, what we see in chapter 10 is that Peter, the leader of the early church, had a dream. And in this dream, he had a vision from the Lord. And what he saw was unclean animals descending down in a sheet from heaven. And God said, arise and eat, arise and eat, arise and eat. Three times to Peter. And Peter said, Absolutely not. See, Jews did not eat unclean animals. And they did not associate with unclean people. You see, what God was telling Peter is that what was formerly unclean, God can make clean. What was formerly rejected, God can now accept because God is moving in a new way than he did in the Old Testament. And upon receiving this message, Peter went out and preached the gospel to the household of a man named Cornelius. And the first Gentile converts were formed. But that's not all, church. So we take another shift forward. In Acts chapter 9 and 11, 
And in the rest of the book of Acts, we see the ministry of Paul. Paul, who was formerly Saul of Tarsus, who was responsible for the execution of Stephen, was traveling on the way to Damascus when he too had a confrontation by the Lord. There he was struck blind by a vision where God encountered him. The risen Jesus stood before him. And he repented of his unfaithfulness and turned to Jesus. But with the repentance and the turning of Paul, a new leaf was turned in the church. In Acts chapter 11, as the church in Antioch prayed and and sought the counsel of the Lord, God moved them to set aside Paul and a man named Barnabas to go be missionaries to the Roman world. And as these men traveled outward, they moved into cities, they preached the gospel, and they planted churches. And then when these men left these cities, it didn't stop there. These churches that were planted by these faithful men then began to take up that pattern and started planting churches around the local cities, and more churches were born. Churches planting churches. Here we see the strategic plan of the apostles no longer being forced to by persecution, but by seeing the word of God, being convicted by the Holy Spirit, and moving in line with Jesus' calling. And churches were planted. You see, church, I have a high view of the church. We see in the book of Acts that when the Holy Spirit came, power came on the local gathering. And when we multiply churches, when we plant churches, we take that power from Acts chapter 2 and we plant it in new communities and we bring power out to new peoples so new peoples receive the gospel. We need to be planting churches. For us here at Milk Creek, we have bought into this conviction that God is moving in this specific way. We've bought into this idea that we must be planting churches. If the biblical example isn't enough, I think the stats will speak highly of the effectiveness of church planting. You see, for a church that is 10 years old or older, When we receive new members, about 10 to 20% are new believers. And while this is a wonderful thing, we see a whole new figure when churches are planted. You see, in church plant, when new members come in, 40 to 60% of new people are new believers in Jesus Christ. Church plants spread the gospel. And if that's not evidence enough, when churches plant churches, they say planting churches grow three times faster than non-planting churches. You see, not only does church plants have an effect on new communities, it has an effect on local planting churches just like us. People come to know the gospel. We need to be planting churches. And 
for Dora and I, we have bought into this model of church planting. So much so that we are right now praying and have been for the last few months if God is sending Mill Creek to plant us in a new community. Because we believe that when, plants, when churches are planted, the gospel spreads. And maybe at this point you're with me. You get it. We got to do it. But you're asking the question, how do I help? What we see over and over again is there's three things that church plants need. Prayer, people, and proceeds. See, over and over again, Paul asked for prayer. That's Paul who witnessed the risen Lord. And certainly if Paul needed prayer, our church planters need prayer. And church, I would love for us to commit to pray for church planters. To pray for Proclaim, who we planted several years ago. To hop onto the Send Network website and research the church plants in our local area and pray for the church plants that are reaching Kansas City. I would invite you to pray for my wife and I as we consider planting the next church. But not only us. You see, when Mill Creek sends out missionaries, our goal is not just to create disciples. When we send out missionaries, they are church planters. And as we look at these people overseas, literally reaching people of different tongues and different nations, they need our prayer, church. The second thing we need is people. Now, whether it's Dora and I or somebody else that God is raising up, there will come a time when Mill Creek plants another church. And God may be calling you. Well, you may not be a pastor or a shepherd in a sense. I believe that church planning is a calling for an entire group of people. And right now, right here today, God may be calling you to go. And I do not believe it's too early to set the seeds and build a foundation and start to pray for that calling. Is God sending you? The final thing church planters needs is money. Well, I believe that the first two things, prayer and people, are the two most powerful things associated in church planting. I'm not foolish enough to think that we don't need money. And we at Mill Creek have committed to giving a percentage of our giving over to church planters to help plant in the future, and we hope to give more. But there's going to come a time when we plant our own church, and it's going to take money. And while I don't want you to give anything that the Lord is not moving you to give, I want you to search your heart and ask, God, are you using me to help fuel church? What we see in the book of Exodus when they built the tabernacle, God worked in people's hearts and convicted them and moved them to give according to their means. And God may be moving you to give. And maybe at this point, you're still wondering, I don't get it. Why would we take our time, our people, and our resources and send them out the door? 
Certainly there are great things going on at Mill Creek. Certainly people are coming to know Jesus. But church, what we have to realize is that the kingdom that Jesus is building, it's not an earthly kingdom. Jesus is not building this kingdom. He's building a heavenly kingdom that exists beyond Johnson County, that exists beyond Kansas City, that exists beyond America. More people need to know Jesus. And as Jesus left his disciples in Acts chapter 1, he promised them that he was coming back. Just imagine the joy we will feel when someday we stand in heaven and we see faces we've never met before. We hear languages that we've never spoken and realize that our ministries help to bring those people to the gospel. Church, the goal of what we do here should never be to fill up our membership roles. Our goal should be to fill up the Lamb's Book of Life because people need to know Jesus. Church, I want us to be a church that plants churches. I want us to be a church that looks outside of our doors and loves people who look and sound nothing like us. We need to be planting churches. God, we thank you this morning for your grace, your mercy, and your wonderful love. God, you have given us an opportunity to serve in your ministry. Us faithless, faithless, lowly people, our worthless creatures of dust, you have chosen to lay aside your glory, to set on us, to fill us with your Holy Spirit. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.